Hello, everybody. Welcome back to hopefully this is the second edition of Broad's Thoughts. And someday we'll explain that exactly, but not today. So, hi, I'm Annie Ortman, and my cohort here is... I'm Heather Simmons. And we welcome you. And um, I hope there are thousands of you out there. If there's only two, that's good, too. But um, so now our, our last episode, if you didn't listen to it or last whatever, they call them episodes. I think they do. I think they call um, them episodes. Uh, I interviewed Heather and made her laugh over some funny stuff. And let's see what she's got in store for me, because I have no idea. And I'm scared shitless. Oh, you you should totally be scared. Definitely. <laughs> um, so like like Annie said, I'm uh, going to take some time to interview her today. And I do hope that even if there are just two of you. And you might be related to us that you enjoy <laughs> what we come up with. If you want to drop us a line for now until we get everything else rolling and set up, you can reach us at Annie at superannieo.com. Um, otherwise, uh, hold your thoughts and we'll get a real website and email address one day. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anne, are you ready? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, well, I guess the first thing I want to ask is, what exactly is your name? Because <laughs> I, I met you first as Annie, but I've heard other people call you Anne. So which uh, is it that you really like and which one do you prefer? Well, it's the funny thing is most the only person that truly calls me Anne is my husband, which I don't know why. <laughs> I think you heard. I, I think you heard my mom calling me that. Everybody else calls me Annie, which I used to hate when I was little. I absolutely hated it because most of my cousins would say Annie, and I thought that sounded terrible. So I would insist to be called Anne. But then when I got in my twenties, for some reason, it's I started like an Annie. So almost everybody I know calls me Annie, except my husband. And I he, see. I don't, and, and even when I said <laughs> call me Annie, he just for some reason he has to call me Anne. So. To what I prefer, Annie. <laughs> okay. Well, that is a perfect lead-in to the follow-up question, uh -oh. which is, uh -oh. if you could have changed your name as a child, what would you have chosen? You know, I never, I didn't mind Annie as my first name, but I abhorred my middle name, which was Louise. And I can't tell you why. And I feel really bad because I said this once to somebody. And as it turns out, that was her name. Um, I, I always thought Louise sounded like a name of a pig. And then she goes, oh. And I all of a sudden, I looked at her face. and I went, oh, my God, your name's Louise. And she went, yeah. And I went, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so when I got married, I, I did the whole, um, I don't. I thought this is what everybody did. I don't know if you did this, um, but where I came from, when you got married, you took your maiden name as your middle name. Oh, okay. So I was excited because that got rid of the Louise. Oh. But if I could have had any other name, I would have loved to have something exotic, like Margot. Okay. So Margo? I did that at, I did at, at um, 
Starbucks, they know me as Margo because when remember when they used to ask for a name before they yes. did all the electronic, they'd ask for a name. I'd always go, okay, Margo. <laughs> okay. Well, I, that, that's easy to work with. You know, here you go, Margo. See, like, did, it totally that just works. sounds so much more exotic. And Anne and Annie just sounded so plain Jane. And again, Louise sounds like a pig's name, but I'm sorry, Annie Louise is out there. I'm sure it's a great <laughs> name for you. It just wasn't a name for me. Sorry. Okay. Well, so the follow up to that one is. Oh, no. Is, Looking back with adult eyes, are you happy or satisfied that you didn't have the ability to change your name when you were little? Gosh, I don't know. I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, I think now that I'm older, it's like of all the things to be bent out about, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, there are so many other things I could have been more bent out about, except your name, you know? Exactly. Um, I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been Bertha. Again, if there's any Berthas out there, I'm sorry. I'm not making fun of your name. Just not a name I wanted to have. Got you. Okay. All right. Well, um, okay. now, now we now know. And now the follow-up to that is... <laughs> no, we're, we're good. We know your name. It is Annie. Um, all righty then. So I think as kids, you know, we all have dreams and some of us want to do ABC or XYZ. When my youngest child was a little girl, she had decided, you know, mommy, when I grow up, I'm going to be a fish. <laughs> okay, I'm not really sure how that's going to work, sweetheart, because, you know, the fish live underwater and, and you can't breathe underwater. Oh, yeah, well, by the time I'm grown up, I'll be able to. So I'm not sure where that came from. So that was her dream to be a fish. And um, I let her live that dream for a little while until I, I realized that she she would just outgrow it. And she did. So what would your occupation be today if you had followed your childhood dream? Well, I don't know if it's occupation. I I hated being a girl. I wanted okay. to be a boy. I was more obsessed with being a boy mm -hmm. than really an occupation. I thought it was so unfair that boys, first of all, that boys got to take their shirts off when they were hot. <laughs> I grew up on a farm and, you know, we were always working out. Uh -huh. So I used to hate that the boys were allowed to take their shirts off and mm -hmm. I wasn't. I didn't have any boobs. Yet. Right. So yeah. why can't I take mine off and to have all my, you know, everybody going, no, you can't because you're a girl. And that was like the first time I was like, well, then I'd rather be a boy. And I really became a tomboy after that. Um, so it's not really it doesn't answer your question. But it is what I thought about more than anything else. And I still think it's unfair that guys still get to take their shorts off and we don't. I mean, we can, but it causes a lot of trouble. Unless you end up at a beach that you had no idea was, which we will get to in another episode. I keep saying, I'm building up the suspense of this beach story and it will. I promise it will come. But today's show is about you. So I'm not going to steal that thunder. But I'm going to let you know there are places where girls, too, can go without their shirts. Yeah. So um, oh. good. So, well, I'm glad to know that you had a dream. And, and you can remember it. <laughs> well, as a when you know, when occupation, I've always wanted to be a writer because I was always a reader. So I don't know that I ever entertained any other occupation. Um, so that answers that part of the question. But I was more I was more enamored with wanting to be a boy. 
a boy mm-hmm. author. Maybe that's how I should say. Well, I think you also just fed my theory that if you're not a reader, you won't be a writer. And writers are definitely readers. You just kind of said that. That's what we talked about yesterday. I, I yeah. just I don't think you, you can separate those two. So see, look at that. They're all intertwined. Look okay. at that. Crazy. Okay. So. I'm going to ask the whole question and then you can kind of go from there. The first part of it is how many careers have you had and which one was the one that could have been the best if only blank? Well, I've, I mean, do we count jobs we had in high school? I mean, career, I've always been a writer. Okay. I've, I started out wanting to be journalism. I was a journalism major, and I started out wanting to be in newspaper oh, okay. reporter. But then in college, when I was working at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, I think it was still in existence. Yeah, there used to be two papers. Now there's only one. Um, I hated being sent out to cover like fires or accidents and having to interview people that just lost their homes or just lost a member of their family Mm -hmm. and ask stupid questions like, how do you feel? Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus, how do you think they feel, Aunt? I saw, I hated that kind of crap. So luckily the next semester in college, I had um, a marketing and public relations course. And I found out I like the psychology behind marketing and public relations. So that's kind of what I went into. And then when I graduated, I was so lucky enough to find an incredibly great job um, with First Marketing Corporation that used to do back when, before the Internet, when we used to get uh, newsletters in our bank statements. Those of you that are young, we used to get bank statements every year that would tell you how much was in your credit card account and all that kind of stuff like that. And they and they always had these four-page newsletters or two-page newsletters folded up in them. And that's what First Marketing did was wrote those newsletters for banks. And why it was a great first job is not only did I not only did I learn to write in the marketplace and learn how to deal with clients and all that kind of stuff, but we also printed all of our stuff in-house. So I had to learn how I had to learn about printing, how how you set up printing. This is this is when we still had typesetting, those of us that are old and can remember that. Uh, how to work with the typesetter, how to work with pre-press, how to work with pressmen, that kind of stuff. What a fantastic first job to have, because then shortly after that is when I went out on my own as a freelance writer. And I got to work with so many artists because they liked that a writer knew how this stuff went together. So when we would come up with ideas, I didn't come up with something that would be like really expensive or unable to do. I would be like, oh, that'd be a great idea, but I don't know how we would do that in this format or or whatever kind of thing like that. So luckily for me, I've really only had one career. If I had to choose a second career, it would be a New York Times bestselling author. Um, <laughs> oh, gee. Like, all right. Which I have one book out and it did really well, but I didn't go New York Times. But maybe the next one. Fingers crossed. Fingers, toes crossed. So are you saying that if it wasn't for. So you have to fill in the blank. So the New yeah. York Times bestselling author, you that's know, what you would be if, if it, it wasn't, wasn't for. If it wasn't for. Oh, this is going to be this is going to be a tough one to put. If it wasn't for. Um, women's liberation and the generation I was born in, I would have I would have been an author. Okay, but I came in on the cusp of 
women's liberation. So I had a mother that got her college degree. You know, she she had the family and the college degree and she and she had fought for women's liberation. And it was kind of like, damn it, you're going to do the same thing. So I I had the family. I went that route, whereas I really would have rather just gone to New York and lived in a hovel and learned to write that way. But so that's a kind of interesting thought, because, you know, most of us that have studied literary theories and things like that, we have found that there's first wave feminism, second wave feminism, third wave feminism, whatever wave we're in now. So a lot of people feel like these waves of feminism uh, were a great way for them to to pursue the things that they wanted to pursue. It sounds more like this second wave feminism your mom got caught up in, in some ways hurt what you were wanting to do because you were taught you had to have the family and the career instead yeah. of just the career. And well, and what's interesting is um, in the last years of my mom's life, um, due to the illness that she had, um, the, her medication, it, it turned out really great. She ended up having to take some medication that was almost like a truth serum. So she had a hard time keeping to herself true feelings, which my family, we didn't really share a lot of true feelings. And it's one of those things that we actually discussed. And the really sad thing is, is I think we both discovered she never fully came out and said that, but that was certainly the the feeling I got. I have an older sister that got that same feeling as well as a younger sister. And that, and my mother certainly was bummed that that's what we all thought because we all, we basically were thought we were getting the message. I fought to give you everything. So God damn it, you better go after everything. And I've tried to be really honest with my girls that, and my son, that, yeah, you, you can have everything, but that's a really hard thing to do because then that means, you know, if you have one thing you really want to do, then you really can't do everything because you can't do that one thing really, really good if you're also trying to juggle all those balls. And that's kind of how I feel. Um, but like I said, it was it was it was actually a nice conversation I had with my mom shortly before she passed is um, I misinterpreted and she misdirected, for lack of a better word, Um so, yeah, I mean, I really wish I really wish I'd had the balls to say, screw it. I don't care what you think. This is what I want to do. But I didn't. I went the safety route that everybody wanted. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm 58 today. And that's what you did when you were in your 20s back in the 80s as a woman. Yeah, you got your college degree and you could have a job, but you were also supposed to be a mom. And you were also, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I don't I don't hate that I did any of those things, but you know, yeah. If I had my choice and could go back, I'd have chucked it all and just wrote. That's great. Well, by the way, everybody, today is Anne's birthday. <laughs> I, sh- I should have said, hey, happy birthday, Annie. But uh, since this half, me, was running a bit late for our, our time to record, we kind of just rolled on into it. So happy birthday, Annie. I'm glad Thank that um, I got to know you and celebrate another year and say happy birthday to you. Well, I'm going to change gears a little bit because those were some really serious questions. And I have more serious questions because there's things I really wanted to know about you. Uh-oh. But I also <laughs> have some not so serious questions because I think it will reveal a little bit more about you. Okay, so there's been a lot of superhero movies coming out these last few years. I mean, every time one comes out, I'm like, oh, are you freaking kidding me? Another one? I mean, after so many, I just lose interest. But I like... 
there's a show on Amazon Prime uh, called The Boys, and it's where the quote unquote superheroes are really kind of assholes and they really are not these good people. And I love it. I love that their dark side is exposed or whatever, but uh, which led me to this question. So, Annie, which superhero out of all the ones, you know, do you love to hate on the most? I'm not a big comic book person, so, um, and it, it irritates so many of my friends because so many of my friends are the next Marvel movies come out and blah blah oh, yeah, blah, no. and it's like, and I only know I, there's only one superhero I totally love, which is Wonder Woman, but I've hated the Wonder Woman movies. Love the TV show though, um, but which one do I hate? Oh, hate the most. Yeah, the one that you love to hate on. I. Again, I don't know a lot of them because I don't. But I never could understand the Hulk. It just seemed like a strange concept to me. This guy mm. got angry and and did things. It just. <laughs> but now that I can look back, I'm like, wow, that's really kind of interesting because it's kind of like counter. You know what I mean? But I remember Lou Ferrigno on the TV mm-hmm. show playing yeah, the Hulk. Yeah, he was great. And who played the alter ego? David Banner. Oh, Bill. Bill Bixby. Yes. I can remember those shows. Um, so I love the Batman TV show. I loved Batman. Um, so probably the Hulk was, I wouldn't say I hated, but I just didn't get it. You just didn't get him. I, I just okay. didn't get it. And I'm just, and, and I'm not, it's funny since I go by Super NEO, but that's more Wonder Woman than anything else. I really don't <laughs> know like a lot of them. So my friends will be like, you know, the next Marvel movie came out or they'll be talking about Thor or whatever. And I'll be have I'm no clue, no clue whatsoever. That's great. Well, that's OK. That's it's funny. So what's you it said called? The, the Boys? Yeah, The Boys. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, I started watching the second season, but it just didn't grab me like the first season. So but it's definitely a show that if you don't watch the second season, you'll still love the first season. And you won't well, feel like you need. That brings up an interesting question. Yeah. Which we may need another show for. Aren't there quite a few shows that you totally love the first season, mm-hmm. but then the second season, you're really left with, huh, that, you know, it's OK. Is that just a matter of it's so much more exciting to learn all the characters and learn the stories? Right. And then as they really start delving into it, then all the excitement goes out. Maybe. You know, that's a good, I think that's that's, a, that's another point. topic for another thing, because I, I definitely could talk an hour and a half on that. That's funny, though, that you you said something about Batman, because, you know, there's Batman, the Adam West Batman. Then there's Batman, the way was it Michael Keaton with Jack Nicholson in the first you know series? And then there was the the dark Batman that's come out lately and that you liked any of them was is great. But. Batman is the one I love to hate on. I can't stand really? Batman. Yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> oh my God, this is a little rich kid who, you know, so what he saw his parents murdered, whatever, get over it. Why does he get to sit around and brood? And then he goes out and he's like trying to avenge for justice, but he never kills the people. Like, it's like really, you know that if you turn your back, they're going to kill you. So why didn't you just take care of business? Because they keep coming back around, you know. Well, it's um, really kind of interesting. Um and we'll have to have another show on it. And he hates Superman. You know, in the, in the newer universe, he doesn't like Superman and but thinks Superman's horrible. So I don't know. Superman's the man. Something I learned with Wonder Woman. I mean, I, I, I've I always loved Wonder Woman again because she's a woman and she's awesome. But just recently, 
is I learned so much of the development of Wonder Woman, um, Marston, the guy that developed her, and the whole story behind it. And it was really kind of interesting. So I'd be curious to take time to find out how Batman... And I'm talking some of the older ones, because some of the older superheroes have way more better backstory and way more... Not only their character's backstory, but just the the creator's backstory than some of the newer ones. That would be a lot of fun, because maybe you'd have a better explanation for like Batman and stuff because Wonder Woman turned out to have so much more social behind it than ever. And we'll have to talk about that in the show, but yeah, um, we should find that one. Definitely. But I definitely I think... like Adam West. I didn't like any of the other Batman at all. I'm not a big Superman either, which my best friend totally loves Superman. Um, so thank God he's not here to <laughs> chew my ass out. But uh, well, yeah, I mean, Adam West, I think did a good job. And I think his representation of Batman was good because I think he knew that it was, um, it was cheesy and that it was very, uh, what do they call it, kitsch. So yeah. I think that he, he spent some time poking fun of it himself. And so I guess that's, if if you were to exclude Adam West from the Batman universe, I would say, yeah, I really don't like Batman. But he's the <laughs> only one that gives me like a 5% I can deal with Batman if it's Adam West Batman. So there you go. Well, all right, then. Here you go. Uh-oh. I want you to think of, I want to know what three jobs or careers that you'd most like to try out if there were no judgments from others, no negative financial impacts, and you could be uploaded with any necessary skills or trades to do that job, kind of like the Matrix. Just plug you in and upload it. What, what were the three that you would do? I've always wanted to be a fireman. Oh, Okay. I know. And this is even before I became friends with lots of firemen. I just think I always thought firemen mm-hmm. were just so cool. First of all, I'm, I I have always had a deathly fear of dying by a fire being caught, you know, what I, for whatever. I can't tell you why. It's not like oh, someone okay. in my house, whatever. That's just always been one of my fears of being like in a car accident or house catching on fire and you can't get out. So. I don't know if that's why fireman's been one, but that, and then um, when I met my current husband, yes, I've had two. Um, when I met my current husband at our running club, we had a lot of firemen that were runners and um, became really good friends with the assistant fire chief in the town we were living in and getting to know them with, um, which is so interesting because I think being a fireman and I, and I have not known as many police officers, but I would guess it's the same thing that these people that are willing to put their lives on the line, you know, like my friend who was an assistant fire chief said the hardest problem he would have when he was trying to command firemen were they all wanted to run into the fire to help as opposed to, okay, stop and let's think about this first. To have that kind of mentality, I find really, really intriguing. And I admire that. I admire someone that wouldn't think of their safety first to help others. I think that's quite admirable. So I would like to think I could do that. I don't know. But if I, you could upload me with that, okay, let's do that. Um, okay. Second so one. Go ahead. Second, I, I was going to say, well, so fireman is, is, I would have never expected that, but... I mean, you have a very, ever since I've known you, you've always had this very giving nature. You've always been concerned about people around you, but not 
preoccupied with it, but concerned with them. So I can I can see the fireman thing. I'm interested on these next two. So what's your next ones? <laughs> okay. Uh, I have always wanted to like be a fighter pilot. I have my pilot's license in for small aircraft. Get out of here. You, you wait, 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 I got to stop you right there. I've known you like three years now, and I'm just now learning that you have your pilot's license. I haven't flown in 20. See, I'm married. My second husband. I haven't flown in probably 27 years, but my first husband and I, um, he got his pilot's license first. This is when Eastern Airlines was um, going bankrupt. So this was like in, what, 85, 86. We lived in South Florida and he had gotten his pilot's license. And then there was a gentleman at the airport who was a Eastern Airlines mechanic who owned a flight and Eastern Airlines, he was going to lose his job. So we bought his airplane, which is a little 172, which people that know aviation will know what I'm talking about. But basically, it's like the VW of the sky. And... We, so then I got my pilot's license and we used to fly. We lived in Fort Lauderdale and we should be able to fly down the Key West every weekend because it was only a two, in our little airplane. It was only a two hour flight. Um, we had flown to Pennsylvania to see my parents. We had my daughter, um, Alex, and we have a really cute picture of her. I would uh, rolling up earplugs to put in her ear and then I would put this the baby bonnet on so she couldn't pull them out. She flew with us everywhere. It was it was really kind of a nice thing to do. Uh, And then, you know, we got divorced for lots of reasons and I've never flown. But all I'd have to do is check a check ride, a physical and a check ride right now. And my license would be good again. My husband, my current husband talks now about getting his pilot's license out. He's retired. And it's a fun thing. If you're looking for something that's challenging, um, Nothing feels as cool as the first time you're by yourself because, of course, you have to do a solo. You take a lot of lessons with your instructor. And mm-hmm. then the big thing is you do a, your first solo. Oh, and okay. There's nothing. It's that's an incredible feeling to have done your first solo. But yeah, I plus. So I do understand how to fly. I know the concept of flying and all that. But I think it would be such a fucking gas to be in an in a F-22 or an F-35. They fly all over my house because I live right. near the Air Force Base. I think that would just be a gas and a half. Just, oh, wow. You know, I mean, I saw Top Gun probably 25 times. Can't wait for the. I was uh, going to say, are you excited about I'm, the sequel? Not of Tom Cruise, but I am excited to. I heard that the if you like the first one, the second one, the filming was so much better in cockpit and stuff like that. So, yeah, I am looking forward to that. And someday, well, I'm, I'm someday I'll have to... a chance to go up in one. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing if, if Val Kilmer is really in the movie and if he ditched all the weight he gained, because I'm talking he was super hot. I don't know why people were like, oh, Tom Cruise and Top Gun. Sorry, Tom, if you ever hear this. I mean, you were cute and all, but I'm telling you, Iceman did it for me. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's go there, Blondie. We could do it. And, and like you know, the volleyball that was before thing. when oh. it came out, it was when I just graduated from college and I had moved to South Florida. I was living in my little studio apartment in Fort Lauderdale. And of course, you know, if you went to see a movie, you had to see it in the theater. Right. And that was like my Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon matinee thing was to go see Top Gun. And of course, at that time, movies would stay in the theater for weeks. Right. Yes. You know, I mean, for weeks. Weeks and, and weeks so and weeks. probably, you know, two or three months straight. That was Saturday and Sunday. Every afternoon, I walk to the movie theater. And, and of course, you know, you're in the theater. It's the big screen. I mean, you know, and sound all around you. So that's so why my husband said, are you going to 
wait to see it in the theater. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of think I need to because yeah. it just won't be the same. Even though we have a theater room here at the house and it does have surround sound, it's it just won't same. be the same. Well, you don't get the, you know, sound of your tennis shoes sticking to the floor. That, <laughs> you know, and then you sit down and you smell everybody else's body odor. And, and of course, the popcorn masks that smell somewhat. But then you, you have to share the armrest with somebody because for some reason they don't. Yeah. So totally. If you if you don't go and get that. That experience is it really no yeah well, i'm good you so well even now with theater so it's not even the same because I, I don't know about theaters around you but all of our theaters here now have the luxury seats so oh, yes the recliners the, like, the recliners and you yeah. have a cup holder and all that kind of stuff and it's i mean which i totally love but it's definitely not how it was Back in the day. Now I sound like an old biddy. Back in our day, it was so much better. <laughs> hey, there was the dollar movie theaters back in our day. So, you know, that's okay. Oh, and so then when I moved to Florida, it was the first place they had the um, brew pubs, movie theaters, where you could oh, yes. sit down at a table. That mm-hmm. was like... Coming from small town Somerset, that was like crazy to have someone bringing you stuff while you're watching a movie. Woo! Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Do All you right, remember so... movie theaters when there were only one movie? Yes. I mean, you yes. had one movie at the theater. There was one screen. There wasn't right, right. 20 or 15 or whatever. And then one. they came out with the twin theaters. That was the big deal when the twin theaters opened because you had two. Yeah. So we've, we've covered the, the things. Okay, you have one left. So what's the third one that you would do? Remember, there's no judgment. There's no negative financials. You could just be uploaded. You're there. Porn star. Oh, my God. Why does that not surprise me? See? Yeah. That okay, surprise now we're me. going back to why can't I take my shirt off just because I'm a girl? Exactly. But, you know, this is why we're friends, because definitely being a porn director and producer is one of my things, if I could do it with no judgment, because why not? I mean, yeah, so... That, no, everybody who's listening, I'm not going to become a, a porn director and, and film Annie. Please uh, don't get that in your head. Although I guess you never say never or that I won't because who knows? We might win the lottery and we won't give a flying fig what anybody thinks and do it anyhow. So uh, I like that porn. Okay, so I have to know why star or actor? Why not behind the camera so you can direct and be in charge? Why in front? I don't know. That's a really good question. I'm sure there are psychologists out there would say I'm an exhibitionist at heart. Okay. (laughs) I pretty much don't care what people think about me. So I'm sure that's where part of it comes from is I really. But I would have to think, you know, they really do some incredible acting. (laughs) Male and female. They do some pretty incredible acting. Well, I just think on the male side, the incredible amount of restraint and... um, mental fortitude they have over that particular body part to go on that freaking long. I mean, most normal men, if they could last, it's 20 minutes, maybe they're just like, oh, no, it's my turn. You know, these these porn actors are I would love to. And and listeners take note. I would love to. There's anybody out there that is a porn uh, actor, male or female, that would be willing to come on and let us ask you 30,000 questions. Exactly. And we'll even give you approval. You can listen to it after we've done the interview. And if you decide you don't want it to air, that's cool, too. But I have never met someone that's acted. I, I have never met anybody that's worked in the porn industry, I guess I should say. I would love a chance to talk to anybody. Cameramen, on camera work, whatever. I would love to. Um, and my one of my big dreams is to be able to go out to Vegas 
during the awards. Oh, yes. The Avian Awards. Again, just because I would love to interview and... I'm talking like serious interview. I'm not like fangirling and all that because I really would like a serious discussion about it. Well, what was the radio DJ Howard Stern? You know, not like a Howard Stern type show. Definitely like a serious, introspective type question and answer session with someone. I'm there with you. Non-judgmental. Non-judgmental at all. No, I'm definitely there with you. All right. So, yes. And also, if there's any psychiatrist or psychologist that would like to chime in on Annie's secret <laughs> desire to be in front of the camera, please feel free to write us, you know, Annie at superannio.com. And um, I would love to share the, the I'm going to get uh, all these subject line. You're crazy. You're yes. nuts. <laughs> okay. Stop talking. <laughs> Well, we covered that you don't, you're not really into superheroes all that much, right? Uh, but you, you like Adam West and, and Wonder Woman's your thing. So if you would face zero consequences, you know, legally, financially, whatever you want to call it, what type of villain would you become? And it doesn't have to be a supervillain. It just has to be a villain. So think about all the the people that get lumped in that category of villain. There's no judgment on our side here, but zero consequences. What type of villain would you become? You know, I think I would probably be like the Dexter. Was that Dexter? The TV show where, yeah, Yeah. where basically he's a bad person, but his um, rationalization is, is that he's killing bad people. Well, so maybe he's a good person that just does bad things. Well, I don't know. That's what I said. There's another one of those. Again, have fun with the psychiatrist. Um, if I, I mean, we all have been there where there's somebody that's really, really bad. What for whatever reason, and I'm not naming any political figures or anything like that. Or oh, you would just you're like I'm I not going to name names. I, I'm just throwing I, politics in there. Here's what I'm saying: is I don't necessarily want to kill them, but I would want to be able to kind of like clip their wings. You want to see them get their comeuppance, or help them see the error of their ways. Maybe that's how we should put it. There are people like that, or or and and sometimes it's just even people as simple as the person that pulls out in front of me and almost causes an accident. I don't want them to die, but I would like to stop time, flip it around, juxtaposition us so that they can see what they did. You know, I I know that sounds really queer, but you know what I mean? It's just sometimes I wish there, like I said, I wish I had the ability to put people in other people's shoes and make them. That's a good point. Deal with what they're dishing out you know they had to, i guess that's that's a good way of putting it making them take what they're dishing out and Ooh. if that was a superpower i guess i would say that's that's what i would want you could, i guess you could call that a villain or not i don't know okay. i don't know no that's that's good that's good well since you shared with us that you've You've always been a writer because you've been a reader and you're happy in all of the opportunities you've gotten to write um I have a question for you about all the things you've read. Uh oh. So <laughs> this might you don't have to answer. You can pass. I mean, I I, I passed a couple times. So which author would you most like to critique to their face? And when I say critique, I don't mean all nice critique because you know I'm talking hardcore, viciously raking them over the coals critique. Which author would it be? <sighs> Well, I'm, I can't remember, I 
can't remember their names. But, <laughs> Do you remember the book? Yes. Any of the um, soft porn. What was her last name? James. E.L. James. Yeah. The, the um, Fifty Shades Lady. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one is it was terrible, terrible, terrible writing. But here's a really good example of. But she hit a niche that was ripe for a quick read that people would pass on. And and here and you know, and, and something I have to tell my editing clients is here's one of those things is um I I heard her give a speech at a writing conference. She had no clue. So that was just a pure timing. It wasn't like she planned it or whatever. It was just a happy but it's terrible writing. Terrible, terrible writing. Well, do you think she was then just more lucky than good? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, I don't know. I hate to say luck because... You said it. she was lucky in her timing. It yeah, was the right time. It, yeah, I think... She, what it, what she made just, it terrible? What made the writing terrible that you, it was, you wanted to To me, critique? it was just... It's just um, tiring. To me, it was tiring to read because... You know, uh, and watch, I'll probably get sued now. Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no repercussions, but then I get a letter. When this airs, we get a letter. Yeah, um, yes. It, it, my big thing is, and you've heard me say it over and over again, readability is that it, it the writing flows so much that the person feels like they're in they're in the story themselves. And I found her staccato writing, her jumping you know like sentences same sentences start he she blah blah you know oh, he said monotonous. she said he said she said yeah but but it was a very good example of the subject matter it was so titillating to a lot of people that they were able to overlook that okay um and then there's uh i can't remember the name of the writer now but there was a series of books the first one was red sparrow which they made into a movie and then the subsequent book two or three, I can't remember the name of them now, but it was it was written by a supposed that I'm going to say former CIA agent is fiction, but CIA agent. And the same thing, the writing was so bad, but I found the subject and the character so interesting. I was willing to mull through it. Was it uh, Jason Matthews, author of the Red Sparrow thrillers? Yeah, um, he passed. Yeah, he passed away. Actually, it said I, I hear on the internet it says uh, Jason Matthews dies at sixty nine, um, and that was April the 29th, ninth, twenty twenty one. So this year he passed. That's okay. What about uh, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think a lot of us, anyone who's listening, has probably read. At least the guess, first one, like I guess Twilight. Why those are ones, yeah, yeah. Same That's thing. One. I, I've met I met Stephanie at a at a writers conference. Very sweet, very very sweet. Um, I wouldn't say her writing was as challenging as the other two because she certainly had a little more polish. Well, I think she um, grew as a writer by the time she got to the the fourth book, yeah. the Breaking Dawn. Either she grew as a, as a writer or her team helped her out greatly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, okay. So you don't like short staccato, dumbed down writing you don't mind junk food for the mind you just want to be able to have a little bit of taste to that junk food it's not empty calories totally well my my viewpoint is i i guess one way to put it is i don't like a meal where i can order here's my here's my entree my protein and then here's what my sides are going to be and then they go okay and they bring out okay you ordered a steak with blue cheese on it this is what I had for dinner last night for my birthday dinner with my family. I had this really nice steak with blue cheese. And then they did um, uh, sauteed 
Brussels sprouts on top. Okay. I wouldn't want them to come up with two pieces. Okay, here's your two pieces of meat. And then they come out next with, and here's some broccoli. And, and, and that's kind of how I feel sometimes with those kind of writing is that I'm not getting the whole meal. It's not this big, nice meal. It's, it's, there's no continuity here, little, to it. It's very shattered. Yeah, and, and not okay. only from the story standpoint, but also from the writing, the mechanics of it itself. Okay. And that's the hard thing to get across to writers is because as soon as I critique someone's writing, that's usually one of those things. They'll come back to me. Well, so-and-so let's, I usually get back Clive Kessler. Clive Kessler writes this way. Uh, Lee Child writes this way. They'll give me all these different and I'll go, yeah, but you know what? They earned their right. They earned their right to write that way. And the thing is, is your writing might have sold 40 years ago, but it's such um, a heavy. There's so many people in the market right now. Mm -hmm. That's one of those things you could fix easily. Okay. Yes. And you'd stand out among everyone else. But yeah, I like writing that I don't realize I'm reading. So that leads me into this question then. Uh-oh. Tell me about your feelings about ghost writing, the person who is the writer and the person who <laughs> takes the ghost writer's words and puts them out as if they were his own. And they don't, you know, um, I, well, I know, for instance, our, our we had a former president who never wrote a word. I'm, I don't think that he even knew how to write a complete sentence, but because he sure couldn't speak one. Anyway, moving forward, um, <laughs> well, you know. Oh, there's some more emails. <laughs> that book, you know, there was a ghostwriter. We all know it. I think everyone may not want to admit it, but I think deep down inside, everyone knows it was it was a ghostwriter. What is your opinion on the ghostwriter, um, you know? Are they doing a disservice to themselves or and also what what is your opinion on the person who puts forth this masterpiece as if it's their very own uh, by their own skill? This is this. I bet we could end up with another. There's another show, but real quick. Just what do you think? This is going to sound really weird, but let's discuss. I want to break it apart between fiction and nonfiction. As a marketing writer, I basically was a ghost writer for people and companies for 30 years because I'm writing speeches for people. I'm writing websites for people. I'm writing brochures for people. Um, White papers, one of my favorite things I love doing and did very, very well because not a lot of people like writing white papers as I loved writing white white papers. But they're basically... For those of the people that might be listening who don't know what white (laughs) papers is, let's just quick down and dirty. What is a white paper? Um... Well, the white papers I should say that I worked on is usually um, someone taking a subject matter and really delving. I I don't want to say delving deep into it, but doing a very, oh, isn't that terrible? I'm having trouble explaining it. Um, Basically, let's say we're taking a subject of how to write a better book, and I would write five pages on why it's important to write a better book. I did more things from a technical end. I did a lot of writing for healthcare. So as new things came out in healthcare for like why you should be uh, using a computer in your dental business, that kind of stuff like that. So it's kind of like really giving you more than about a, a not necessarily somebody's product, but the basic subject. Okay. And then it's a way for them to market without it being, we, we call it soft marketing. It, it's, it's a way for them to say, look, I'm not giving you any sales, but here's why it's important for you to be use a computer in your dental thing or something like that. So that's what that's cool. So yeah. that's what a what we would call corporate white paper would be. And I only love those because A, I love to research. 
and B, I love to explain things to people. So it was like now and and you're not having to do it in a little box in a brochure of only 500 words. You would get 5000 words to do it. Well, then let's set aside the nonfiction world. Just tell me real quick. What's your opinion in the fiction world of the ghost writer and then the person who who basically is lying to everyone and saying that's their work? (laughs) Well, I know quite a few. In fact, one of them just hit New York Times bestseller this week um, that has not written a book themselves for the last 10 years, has four ghost writers that they work with. And, and basically, and and I'm only going to say that's how this person works. Cause I know it specifically he, she <laughs> writes the treatment for it, then gives that to the ghost writer. Then the ghost writer comes back with the first draft. They make their remarks, you know, whatever. I think that's shitty, but um, the ghost writer makes great money at it. And if the readers are satisfied, okay, great. But for some reason, it just from an ethical standpoint, it just doesn't feel right to me. So definitely let's earmark this for another. Uh, <laughs> I think we could do a whole show on this because I think you're, you're hitting something there. I think there's an emotional component to writing that um, most people have trouble, especially if they are a writer or an aspiring writer or just in their own mind, they're a writer. Um, separating that emotional component and the ghostwriter is making great money. It's a business. It's a job. So I think we could separate that. Yeah. And that's exactly it. If, if you're viewing it from an art, I think it's, it's just shitty. <laughs> it, but it seems shitty. But yeah, if you're viewing it from a business, how different is that than somebody that invents this great operative procedure and then licenses it out? For other people to do it. So, yeah. So it's really, yeah, which hat you want to put on. Definitely. Let's, I wish to delve into that definitely for like the emotional, the artistic side of it, as well as the business side. I think a lot of people miss that. There is a great book I but, shared but with there you. There obviously must be some negativity to it because of the four people I know that do it would shit if I said their names right now. Right. And they would and their houses would sue me. Probably. Oh, yeah. So obviously it's not something they want out there. Well, I would definitely love to hear from anyone that goes rights. If you want to, again, if anyone's listening and you want to come on and talk with us, we won't reveal your identity. We can disguise your voice because technology is great. But I mean, I would really like to know, how does it make you feel? How do you how do you value yourself when you're writing for someone and they're taking all the credit? Um, Why have you chosen to do it? How do you separate the emotion from the business? I would love to know that about some of these people yeah, because be it'd be so really good. Definitely so a good a good job there. Uh, there was a book I think I shared with you a couple years back called Scratched or Scratch, and it talked about like the side of being an author and a writer that no one really talks about is the money. Yeah, I'm a best selling author and I'm on a book tour right now, but my mortgage. P- check just bounced. How did that happen? I think a lot of people don't realize that you can have the number one New York Times bestseller, but you could still be broke. So let's table that one definitely for a future uh, conversation. All right. So my last question, this is the big one. This is a Uh fully loaded one. (laughs) Now I really am scared. (laughs) Okay. So you are going to host a formal dinner party, a big table, elegant stuff. I want Uh you to tell me Uh who you will invite living or dead from each of the following categories. I'll read the categories and then I'll go back through them one by one. Okay. Um, a political leader or influencer, a religious guru, an artist, a musician, a criminal and or con man. So it could be a criminal or a con man that hasn't been caught yet. Uh, or it could be, does a politician fit in there too? No, no, they're, they're, they're their own category, <laughs> political leader. Uh, okay. A superhero, an inventor, 
a scientist, a writer, author, a chef, and an athlete. So uh, let's start. Okay. A political leader, influencer. I would love to talk to Trump. Okay. Trump's coming to would, dinner. Yeah, I would okay. love to talk to Trump. And I think we could do a whole story on that. Okay. <laughs> whole thing on that. But I would love, I would not to hit him upside the head, but, he, you know, he's, you, everybody has to admit he's an interesting guy. It would definitely interesting. All right. Who's your religious guru? Now, when I say religious guru, it can be Jesus. It can be Gandhi. It could be uh, Shiva. Uh, who is, who is going to be your religious component? Who's coming to dinner? Um, Wow. There's a lot. There's a lot I could pick right there. Jesus is too easy. Plus, I'm, I'm sure he has dinner parties every night. Oh, I'm sure. Um, He's probably booked for eternity. You know, so, <laughs> somebody like um, like the current Dalai Lama. OK. Or or Gandhi, because I, I would love to talk to somebody. How do you I would love to know how do you keep your faith when everything that's happening to you is testing it? Like Job. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, I would I would love to know. And especially like like the current Dalai Lama. I mean, he he isn't even living in in the land that is his. You know, Tibet is not free. Right. So how do you continue to have belief in your supreme being or God or whatever when everything around you is saying that it doesn't exist. I find that fascinating. I think that would make an interesting conversation. Especially if he's talking to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be right next to each other. Do we get to do seating uh, chart then? <laughs> we'll do seating chart. So on our next show, you, you you bring your seating chart. You tell me who you place next to each other because I'm going to write this. I'm definitely going to keep notes on this. Okay, so um, who's the artist that you're, you're going to invite? Now, remember, um, author, writer, author is its own category. So... Um, yeah, I know they're artists, but they're not. So, okay, this is going to this is going to sound really, really crazy. But I would love to talk to Rembrandt. Okay, my my husband is Dutch, and every time we go to Holland, I love going to the Rijksmuseum and seeing all the Rembrandts. First of all, I find all painters fascinating. Da Vinci would be fun person to talk to too, and all that kind of stuff. But I think Rembrandt, for some reason, I just have to because Night Watch is just an interesting, and I could stand there and look at it for hours, and it looks different every time I look at it, and I just okay. I would love to know you know you and I have talked to many many authors and they'll be like you know I don't know where you know I just wrote and the book came out and even when I went back to edit and everything you know whatever I would love to have that kind of conversation with Rembrandt I would love to know his process because it's everything he's done is a masterpiece okay well who's your musician I would like to talk to Bob Dylan and find out how do you do so well when you can't sing a lick <laughs> You know, Dylan's not bad. I'd like to know if he regrets um, stabbing Joan Baez in the back. Moving on. Uh, um, a criminal. Who's your criminal or con man? And Trump, you can't say twice. I mean, damn it. damn it. You knew it was coming right off my lips. Um, could I say Nixon? Because. Yeah. I mean, it's your dinner party. I mean, if you think he's a criminal or a con man, sure. Well, I guess he would be considered a criminal. You know, he was he was on the cusp of when the media was no longer protective of the president. I mean, you know, look at all the stuff that's come out about JFK, right? Right. Nixon was on that cusp of, you know, we're going to let all. So it's kind of like, I don't know that he did anything differently than a lot of other presidents. He just happened to be the first one that the media wasn't willing to protect. And I would just like to talk to him about that. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a stab in the dark here that your superhero is going to be Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, so we, yeah. we know it's going to be her. So who's your inventor? Oh, that's a really good one. That's a really, really good one. Probably, 
um, Edison, because I'd like to know, I would like to know his thought process and how do you deal with coming up with a hundred different ideas and only one's going to work that you don't ruminate over the 99 that didn't. Oh my gosh, see, you make me feel like such a shallow person because I'm all on board with Edison too. But my big thing is a big, so how do you feel now that, you know, um, you fired Tesla, you stabbed him in the back and the man died penniless because you just had a little bit more clout and uh, people with power and money in your back pocket. Well, you know, Tesla's a close second. Um, But yeah, but you know... I just want to stir up drama and you're all like going deep with this. And I'm like, no, cat fight. I, I'm, I really am more into when it comes to creativity. I don't want to say I'll forgive anybody for what they did, but I'm way more interested in where they get their ideas, how they get their ideas. How do they get their ideas out there? And I guess because that's my, that's always been my challenge. And you and I have talked about this many times. I have tons of ideas. Rarely do I get them out there. So so, yeah. And then sit, then if we have a little bit of time extra, then we'd be like, so why fuck over Tesla? Wait, well, you know, I, let's I, talk about that. You know, I think we should just poke <laughs> the bear at dinner. So by dessert, they're in a in a brawl. Um, okay, so we're, we're, we got to speed up a little bit. I don't I want to like don't want to run out of time, but we're running out of time. So who's your scientist? Uh, this is going to sound really crazy, but Jonas Salk. OK, my mother helped. And I want to I make it sound like she was a big she was like a, a nurse that helped when he was he was uh, doing his studies at Pitt for the polio vaccine um, in the area that I the area that I grew up in in Pennsylvania, Somerset. Hi there. Anybody from Somerset? Um, that area of Pennsylvania was decimated every summer by polio. I had teachers in my high school that. Um, had polio when they were children so they were you know so it was very it was a very big deal where I grew up not while I was alive of course it had been solved by then but I didn't know that again that's one of those things my mother didn't tell me until she was in her late years where the medication was the truth serum um, to talk about how she helped again one of thousands I don't want to make it sound like she you know worked arm in arm with him Um, I would just like to talk to him I would like to talk to him about what is it like kind of like what happened this last year with COVID, what's it like to be under so much pressure mm-hmm. to develop something that's going to cure something really bad, mm-hmm. but you have to be careful because you can't kill more people while you're trying to find a cure. Um, and every every documentary I, I, I read about that, to me, that's the interesting part of it is the incredible pressure he was under. Um, that What a great point. What a great point. What about a chef? What chef is coming to dinner? No, and it can't be the one that's in the kitchen cooking it. Well, I just saw this last night. I saw the trailer for the Anthony Bourdain documentary, Roadrunner. I have always found him fascinating because he's again, he's another one of those creative types of this is me, take your take me or leave me kind of thing like that. Um, and again, he's very much like most creatives you and I have known or have studied or whatever. Um, ended up taking his life because unable to handle all of that. I would like to I would just like to talk to him about about that. What, how do you get to that point where you think that's the answer? Right. Yes. You know, the, the troubled soul. I you know I have a I have a thing for troubled souls. Yes. Yes. <laughs> don't we all? Who is your athlete? The one that you you can't go the rest of your life without talking to or eating dinner with or, or wanting to dig into their minds. I would love to talk to Steve Prefontaine. 
Who? I don't know if you're familiar with Steve Prefontaine is a runner from Oregon. Um, he He's the runner that worked with Bill Bowerman, who eventually um, was one of the founders of Nike. He's the one that invented that he used his wife's waffle iron to make the shoes. Okay, that eventually so I'm totally going to this person up when we're done. <laughs> yeah. Steve Prefontaine, there's two, there were two movies that came out. God, 20 years ago at the same time. One's called Pre, I forget what the other one is. But um, he was a f- just an absolute talented um, runner from Coots, Coots Bay, Oregon. And he was a, he was one of the ones that were supposed to run at the Olympics that we then boycotted. He was also one of the runners that was um, began the push for athletes, amateur athletes getting stipends. You know, it was back when if you were an amateur, you couldn't receive any money whatsoever from anybody. You couldn't be sponsored by anybody or whatever. And, you know, they're all waiting tables and they're in different stuff. Anyway, um, and, it, and and the reason he's really legendary is because he was just on the cusp of um, becoming well-known and he had a car accident. He, he had a car accident, was killed. So he's kind of like the Princess Diana thing. He's forever young. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but again, it would be I would like to talk to somebody in in that era of the Olympics mm-hmm. because, you know, it's hard to be an, it was hard to be an amateur athlete at the time and yes. be and compete with this is when Russia or USSR and all the so many of the Soviet bloc countries, you know, their athletes were professionals. Right. And, and that kind of stuff. So anyway, yeah, Steve Prefront. Plus, he was so cute. I would love to get like a kiss. <laughs> All right. Well, the last one is the big one. Who's your writer, author, novelist that's coming to dinner? And you know, you know what I'm going to answer. Hemingway. Hemingway. I would love to sit and talk with Ernest Hemingway. Okay. Now you cannot ignore the rest of your guests just because you're crushing on Hemingway, all right? Because that's just rude. And Trump likes to be the center of attention. So you're going to have to corral him, you know. Okay. Um, Well, here's the last one. And it's, it's just is what it is. Why did you agree to do this podcast with me? Well, I don't know if anybody else is going to think it, but I think you and I have the most incredible discussions and it's going to be totally fangirling on myself as well as you. But, <laughs> but I find it very rare to be able to get into intelligent discussions. And it doesn't matter whether we are thinking the same, but we have just as many times that we think opposite. Yes. But we still end up having really good discussions without it. Um, what's the right way to put it? I, I guess one of the things is, is we're, if we're discussing something that you're not sure of something or don't know of something, you don't want to end a discussion or take the negative. Basically, you're willing to say, I don't know. Yeah. Or I don't understand or whatever. And that's a hard thing. I love discussions, whether it's whether, whether it's politics or religion or dirty feet or, <laughs> or whatever. doesn't matter what. I love a good discussion. I love a good intellectual discussion. And I think that's why you and I became really good friends, because we're able to do that. We're able to take some of the emotion out of it. Yeah. And I mean, we had some really good political discussions. Oh, we did. Yeah, we definitely you know, did. And, and like I said, we're not always the same thinking, but it would be like, OK, but Ian, what about this? Mm-hmm. And and that's that the art of discussion is a lost art. I think I think you hit the nail on the head with that because we can have begin with our discussions. And like, okay, we start at two o'clock Eastern time. Next thing you know, it's five o'clock and we're still not done. We're like, what? Oh, it's been three hours. Holy crap. So definitely. Um, Plus, I think we have the ability to dissect a topic into 
different aspects of it. And sometimes my mind is changed by the time we finished it. Or at the very least, I understand why you think that way. Yes. And and to me, that's the crux of a good intellectual conversation. I think and so. That's a, that's a lost art. I mean, my husband and I were just discussing it the other night that we miss having friends that are willing to do that. Most people don't want to get deep about anything. No, that's true. Um, I think, well, we're too scared. A lot of us are scared of, of alienating someone or not having that friend because friends are hard to come by or it's going to get out to the wrong person and then you're going to have some trouble heaped on your head. I really do think that some of it, I mean, you and I have talked about people in history that we've admired and we know if we say it out loud to someone, it doesn't matter if we say, let me say the person's name and then tell you why. I just realized, I just realized, can I dump Trump and bring Adolf Hitler to dinner. Yeah, I, that, I was I was thinking to myself, why did she not say this person? Because I you, you're the first person that I admitted some thoughts to about that that villain. And um, it was interesting because you didn't run screaming with your hair on fire. And we, we had a great like, I think at least an hour long conversation. Well, and, and, and I would love to have a show about that. Not yeah. again. I'm not here to idolize him. No, no. And I'm not here to say what he did, but I would like from from the standpoint, almost from a marketing standpoint, mm-hmm. putting on a marketing cap and going, how'd you do this? Well, there's a great, there's you know? a great documentary on Amazon called Marketing the Messiah. Oh uh-huh. my gosh, it is unbelievable. And they talk about, uh, you know, Jesus and the, and the marketing and definitely looking at from a marketing standpoint, how we got to where we are now. So, um, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm glad you wanted to do the podcast with me. You didn't think I was crazy because. Oh, I think you're crazy. Oh, OK. Well, crazy, but yeah, but, <laughs> but that's, crazy. A whole it's, it's a whole nother issue. But definitely like <laughs> being able to do this and share it because they're out of seven billion something people on this planet. There's probably at least two more out there that would get us and, and like it. So um, <laughs> great. Well, I, you know, I also know that we agreed that we were going to try to keep our shows to under an hour, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. So those of you that are listening, if you're planning on like, oh, it's only a 46 minute show or a 50 minute show. Yeah. Don't really plan on that because it might be an hour and a half. Who knows? So yeah, it's just knows? us. But I, I do want to try to keep it under an hour, especially since it's Annie's birthday today and she <laughs> has some plans this evening. So um, those are my questions for you. They're not quite as fun and crazy as the ones you asked me. Oh, but they were so interesting. They were so interesting. I, Thank I you. Loved, I enjoyed I that. I learned that you had a pilot's license. That's fabulous. <laughs> and I want to be a fireman. And you want to be a fireman. And that you wished you were a boy. And now you know my daughter wanted to be a fish. So um, there's that. And you know what? Probably in 100 years, we'd be able to do that. They'll just change our genes and theme, which then will bring up a whole bunch of different issues, <laughs> you know, because we know. all think if if we had this, it would make it better. Well, it might change all of it. Totally crazy. But again, that's for another show. It Thank is. you, Heather, Thank for giving you, me your time yep. and, and answering next, qu- next show, asking questions. Who knows where we'll go? <laughs> we'll figure it out because I know it's not so much what are we going to talk about? It's picking one out of the 6,000 possibilities. Exactly. Exactly. You know, well, everybody, so. thanks for listening again. Drop us a line, Annie at superannio.com. And if you 
or any of the porn stars or scientists or inventors or whatever we cover today that would love to come and talk with us, please let us know. We'd love to have you on our show. And if you own one of the many businesses or products we talked about and think we would make great sponsors, please hit us up. We like money just like everyone else. So that's it for us. So until next time, Annie. Bye. 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 Thank you.